they got someone like Jim Harbaugh in the building, Ooh, you yeah, can have some real. Awesome. Then you got yourself a stew, boy. So, hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Uh, it's been an interesting week, a couple of very one-sided games, uh, some interesting ones with some teams coming back into potential playoff contention, so we'll fly straight on into it. So hey, we got Connor here, and we got Ronan. Hello. How's Trix? How's all down in Cork? Uh, quite wet at the moment, uh, a little bit of spot flooding, not that much flooding for Cork, it's definitely had worse, uh, but yeah, it was a... Uh, had a had an extra day off. Have some extra holiday days I've been using up. So I took Monday off. Managed to stay up for Sunday night football, uh, and then was also at a monster game up in Thoman Park in Limerick uh, on Saturday as well. And oh. in a tie, everyone's favourite result, of course. Oh yeah, um, everyone loves a good tie. But good, like they're known for having a good atmosphere, and it definitely uh, lived up to expectations. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we're not up to a wild pile here. We had a board games in the house and went out for a few drinks. Uh, there's a couple of plans afoot now for uh, Thanksgiving stuff because there's a couple of yanks out here. But uh, because our work week is, our, like our weekend is Friday, Saturday, I think we're basically going to do Friday Thanksgiving in one of the lads' houses who is uh, he's a Jets fan. So he's kind of on a bit of a bump now with the three weeks of uh, winning for them and the high scoring. And he's also, he's a Nebraska guy, so uh, Cornhuskers in in uh, college football so i think they're playing is it ohio i think on the on the friday and it's like a big rivalry game for them so he's he's pumped up for his party is that the good ohio or the 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 less good ohio Ohio? i i don't know uh (laughs) because i'm not sure which one's ohio and which one's the ohio uh ohio state right and then there's uh i think there's like another ohio somewhere in there yeah but um, no, it looks uh, looks like it'll be interesting enough. So we'll probably get up to that in the weekend. Then obviously a bit of football. I'm, I'm I'm waiting now to see on my holiday days a similar situation to yourself to see how many I've got accrued going into the Christmas season because I might uh, look to take because we've got a hell of a slate of games coming up this weekend. I might look to take the Monday off and just kind of take them all in. But uh, we'll see how it goes. So I suppose we'll fly into the news. There's not as much this week. It was uh, not too news heavy on the go. So we'll start off with uh, the Miles Garrett in incident that happened last Thursday night football. So if you remember, this is where he pulled the helmet off of uh, Mason Rudolph, beat him with it. There was a big on-field fracas. I think something like 30 guys all got fined, which is remarkable when there's only 22 men on the pitch, just people running in from the sides and everything. But... Um, the NFL held a meeting about the suspension for Garrett, which he attended, and he said, as as way of an explanation, said that he had actually had a racial insult thrown at him uh, during the game, presumably by uh, yeah Mason Rudolph. Oh, I had it right. Sorry, brain fart moment there. Um, so the NFL says, uh, well, we've got no evidence of that, and they're going to uphold his suspension. Now we had heard rumors of this flying pretty much immediately from it. One because it was quite out of character for Miles Garrett to do something like this on the pitch, but also then stories started to emerge about uh, Rudolph's connection to some of the like MAGA elements and kind of more hardcore right wing politics and also that there had been some talk about like maybe that was why 
he wasn't the most popular person in the Pittsburgh Steelers locker room. But is this the end of the story now that they have said that they don't have evidence of it? Or is this potentially something that will be extending into the offseason? So it'll extend to some extent because, as mentioned before, it's an indefinite suspension, which means obviously they're keeping the option open of suspending him for some of the 2020 season as well. Um, the Cleveland Browns are very hopeful that won't happen, and Miles Garrett is too. And mm-hmm. one of the technical criteria for the appeal was that indefinite suspensions aren't allowed under the current CBA. Um, in terms of like how much controversy will emerge from this, um, I think unless the audio, unless audio was leaked either from the sideline or potentially from the uh, the helmet audio, if those are if those are recorded and kept, um, emerges. It's kind of hard. It's kind of a he says he says type of situation. It's very hard to really push it any further. And to be fair, Miles Garrett, in reaction to this leaking uh, or being perceived to leaking, was basically saying, like, I didn't expect this to get out. I thought this was just for the purposes of the appeal. So obviously he didn't really want this to go public and go to make this go further. Um, well, this is this is what he said to by way of explanation as why it was you know a week later that this came out. He said I didn't want it to be a public discussion because it would have negative impact on the NFL, which is yeah. an interesting spot for a position for a player to take when they're facing an indefinite suspension of protecting the shield. Yeah, but I think that's a situation where he knows like his best case of avoiding the suspension continuing next year is probably to play ball. He's obviously probably someone who. You know, just the way the power dynamics at work in American football in any sport really are not really for you. So you just kind of have, you know, if you put up and shut up, you're more likely to just get out of that situation. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, it is worth noting out that, you know, hitting someone with their own helmet isn't justified, even if they do use a racial uh, slur as claimed here. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I think the main thing that comes out of this is we'll, we'll have the appeal coming up and that, you know, Mason Rudolph's uh, reputation is a little bit tarnished from this, but as for anything certain coming out of this or this re-emerging, unless TMZ leaks it at some point, I imagine this will be the end of the story outside of the uh, the length of the suspension. Yeah, of course. So we'll keep an eye on that as it, uh, as it progresses. Uh, other news in the AFC North, uh, Ryan Finley's evaluation is complete and he has been found to be lacking. Uh, and Andy Dalton has been named the starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals again. There are obviously going to be rumours abound that uh, this is because they've now essentially locked up that first overall pick, so now they don't need to worry about accidentally winning a couple of games. But given what we've seen out of Finley over the last couple of weeks, I think it's fair to say they didn't have the best quarterback on their roster out there playing. He was clearly inferior to Dalton. They needed to figure out what they had, but it was just a confusing way to do it that they pulled Dalton in the middle of the season only to then put him back in, almost a little bit reminiscent of the uh, Eli Manning situation last year. Yeah, I don't think anyone can really disagree with the idea that Andy Dalton is better than Ryan Finley. I think you know we were expecting like a poor man's Dalton, and that's what we got. If anything, we got something one who's probably closer to the stereotype of Andy Dalton because... You know, you think of Dalton as being an efficient, uh, you know, West Coast type quarterback, you know, short passes, medium passes. Well, Finley wouldn't pass it beyond five yards. So the probably the biggest loser from this is like Joe Mixon fantasy owners because he was getting like 15 like catches a game uh, yeah. due to Finley's conservatism. But yeah, we saw in Finley just someone who he either due to a lack of faith in by the coaches or just due to his own limitations is unable to 
do the types of throws, make the kind of dynamic game plan happen that's required to succeed in the NFL. And Andy Dalton gives you a bigger chance to get a win. Because I think no matter how, you know, you're a first year head coach, no matter how, you know, things go or excuses you have, going 0-16 is liable to get you fired. So I think this may be a decision by the coach to try and avoid that heat straight away. Um, we'll see if they manage to get that one win or maybe more before the year is out. Yeah, of course. And uh, obviously, there's still, I think there's some rumors going around that AJ Green might be back very soon. Um, but to be honest, I'd, I'd almost be thinking about why, why put him back in at the risk of injury at this point in the season. But yeah, Andy Dalton probably gives him a better platform to win from, but it's still a team that is so deeply flawed, you can't see much happening with them. Yeah, they just need one win. That's, that's basically what they're looking for. Yeah, essentially. So we have um, another bit of a change in the AFC North. Uh, Rudolph has now been benched because he has been probably the worst or second worst quarterback in the league over the last couple of weeks. Um, Duck Hodges, Devlin Duck Hodges, has been named the starter in Pittsburgh. He played briefly earlier on the season, if, uh, if people remember that. He has his limitations as a quarterback but has a stronger arm seems to understand the offense a little bit better and definitely gave them a lot more dynamism like i think was it his first or second play in he threw a beautiful touchdown uh in the game and it yeah like they just look like a much more dynamic team with him under center than they did with rudolph at any point during his his tenure so you got to imagine they'll see how Duck is for the rest of the season. I just love his name is Duck. Uh, for the rest of the season, it's not actually Duck. It's Devlin. I know it's it's not, but uh, it's <laughs> Devlin, isn't it? But um, yeah. but essentially, that Rudolph, they now know definitely not the guy. He's going to be gone in the off season. Um, yeah, like it's a good move for Pittsburgh, but I still just struggle to see any point at which his team is like pushing for that final wild card spot. Yeah, but as we said, like they got to a position of being in the hunt, not through any quarterback play. Obviously, they've been carrying Rudolph um, all since since Ben went down, basically, and they managed to be in an okay position. But uh, yeah, like it's hard without a league quarterback, it's just really difficult to to give them a shot. And now they're at the the other end; they have a bad quarterback. I think yeah. Rudolph's biggest problem, according to, to most of the experts, is that his, he's got the wrong throwing motion. He basically takes too long to wind up, and he doesn't have anywhere near the type of anticipation to you know actually make up for that. So he just he's slow to read the game, and then he's slow to throw the ball. So that's just a great you know recipe for getting the ball blocked, getting the ball intercepted, and just looking really bad. Basically, looks like a Zach Mettenberger like. Uh, type two uh, situation, those kind of quarterbacks, Simeon, etc. Devlin looks fine, and I think that's all that Pittsburgh can really hope for right now. I think they'll still win a couple of games on the stretch, but I think in a competitive AFC wildcard hunt, they probably won't have enough to get it done um, unless Minka Fitzpatrick and the rest of the defense just literally goes crazy for the rest of the year. No, of course. And uh, the one thing that might help them, as we're going to move over to the injury section, is a couple of the other contenders for the wildcard spots are starting to suffer a couple of injuries that will slow them down further. So Indianapolis' tight end Eric Ebron has injured his ankle and he's gone on IR, presumably for the season. The only way that he'd be coming back off at this point would be if they, because it's, I think is it they'd have to, they'd literally be getting him back for the Super Bowl if it yeah, was to so. happen. So that's not happening. Uh, let's let's just be honest about that. And uh, Oakland, even though they're 
chances have already been dented by a bad loss to the Jets this week that we'll talk about shortly. Their young wide receiver, Hunter Renfro, has a rib injury slash punctured lung, so he's gone for the season. And he was he was shaping up very nicely to be a weapon for that offense. And uh, they really, their, their, their draft classes has been very good this year. Yeah, like they're a team that's definitely... Uh if they can keep it together, I'm not sure under John Gruden what will happen, but they're on the cusp of becoming a, a really good team. There's obviously still holes there, particularly on the defense, uh, and perhaps the quarterback is, a, is an open question. But yeah, I think, you know, maybe on a, on a better wide receiver core, Hunter Renfro probably wouldn't be significant enough to get noticed, but on a, on a team which is just so lacking in any offensive talent, like they're, like Tyrell Williams is there, and behind that it's like Foster Moreau? Like, basically, yeah. Ma- Marcel Aitman, who always just seems to show up for some reason. Like, their best receivers are probably now, like, they're receiving running backs, like Jalen Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just... And Darren Waller is obviously there as well. So, uh, I think that's a, it's a blow just because of the lack of depth they have. And we know that's a, an offense that needs to be efficient, needs to have understanding uh, to get things done. As for Eric Ebron, um, apparently he's had this ankle issue all gear. He has been less effective than last year, but he was still managing to be a pretty decent red zone weapon. It means they'll have to lean much more heavily on Jack Doyle, their other yeah. tight end. But I think you know if the, if the worst case scenario for a team is you lose your your number one tight end, you end up with Jack Doyle there instead. That's that's probably one of the better situations to end up in being. But uh, yeah. definitely, I think definitely caps their efficiency in the red zone a bit. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and on, uh, on, oh, go on ahead. Yeah, and outside that, I don't think there's any other major injuries this week, but there are a couple of offensive line injuries in New Orleans yeah, and Green the Bay. The NFC contenders match, yeah. New Orleans tackle Taron Armstead has a high ankle sprain, so those are length of piece, piece of string kind of ones, so one to four weeks. And Green Bay's guard Brian Balaga has an MCL sprain, so he's also week to week. So those are two teams that, well, New Orleans kind of have essentially already sewn up their position in the playoffs. Green Bay are in a little bit more of a... Uh, a precarious position uh particularly just given their loss this week but um yeah it's 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 it, nothing too serious these guys will all be back in time for the playoffs it's just yeah, a question of seeding and positioning yeah and that could be significant in a very stacked top of the nfc but i think yeah like even green bay if they have a bad stretch run should probably still have enough to take like the number six seed um, like the only real competition below the kind of elite six of San Francisco, Seattle, Minnesota, Green Bay, Dallas, uh, Dallas just because by default to be honest at the moment, yeah. New Orleans um, is like the Rams, maybe Carolina, the Eagles, but they're all looking pretty bad and they're down by a fair few games. So yeah, yeah. I think Green Bay are probably safe, but yeah, that seeding could be important, especially in their dogfight with Minnesota in the NFC North. Yeah, and I think we've got some questions in from the listeners on that later on as well. So I suppose we'll fly over and we'll have a look at the games from uh, last week. So we'll start with Indianapolis at Houston, 17-20. to 20. Uh, Houston, close win with this kind of like Watson just going for his big play kind of ability on it. Both uh, Fuller and Hopkins having big days for them. Although it was kind of, you know mistake prone there was a lot of very close ways that this game could have swung either way near turnovers just defense not standing particularly tough in this game at all indianapolis's ground game was good even without uh, mac there but there wasn't much in the passing game whatsoever like looking at these teams you see two teams that have rosters that are 
you know, playoff caliber, but just they look a little bit distant from some of the other teams in the in the AFC. Houston always have that kind of ability to break a game with like New Hopkins and stuff there, but Indianapolis just look to have slowed down in the last couple of weeks. And I don't want to read too much into a Thursday night game, but yeah, it just it didn't fill me with a kind of oh yeah, these guys are the you know six seed who could win a game or two and really challenge. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're seeing here a contrast in, in styles, both, I suppose, in terms of how they play the game, but also in terms of roster building. Like in Houston, you have a superstar-led team, um, which is becoming diminished, particularly on the defense as the years got on, losing people like J.J. Watt. Uh, but the offense was pretty much full health here, um, you know, with their, like, Tunsil in there, and obviously Fuller back, and Fuller comes back, it's 140 yards. And the Sean Watson, very up and down he uh, he nearly fumbled away uh, the game well uh, a chance for Indianapolis to come back um on his last drive which would have been a significant thing uh there was a bit of controversy about whether it should have been reviewed or not but i think it's pretty like there's no clear recovery from the defense and to be honest yeah. it looked pretty clear that he had recovered it so people are like they should have reviewed it to find out that they made the right decision and i'm like mm-hmm. uh, not really but basically you have here like a high variance offense uh, there are other successful high-variance offenses like Seattle out there, but I think Houston's is particularly reliant on on this because I think the, it's a bit worrying that the run game, which had done well within the middle part of the season, has started to kind of slow off again at this point. And then you contrast that with Indianapolis, where you know I've said this again and again throughout the season, their margins for error are so small um, throughout the year. And then you have T.Y. Hilton back, but he didn't look the same. Jacoby Brissett's out there, but he doesn't look fully healthy. He doesn't have the same uh, mobility that he had, even if he did get a touchdown mm-hmm. on the ground. Um, so they're leaning heavily on their run game. And to be fair, they're getting a lot of production out of Jonathan Williams. So fair play with that. Um, and the defense is solid, but once again, maybe lacking in star power. And you're just like, they're a solid team. They're well coached. But perhaps they're just lacking, you know, outside of like some players in their offensive line, those elite game changers who can get you like a, an 80 yard touchdown or stuff like that. Uh, T.Y. Hilton can do that when he's healthy. But right now they just look bereft of that, of that excitement that makes you want to think uh, they could be a relevant team in the playoffs. Like the problem with them right now is they look like the Titans. Yeah, no, it's not, <laughs> nothing, nothing to get excited about. Another game that was nothing to get excited about, Miami at Cleveland 24-41. Tell us about that. Yeah, like Cleveland keep their, their faint playoff hopes alive. It's easier in the AFC, to be honest. Uh, big showing from Landry, another big showing from Landry. He's actually having a really good couple mm-hmm. of weeks. And uh, Chubb was great as usual, 164 all-purpose yards. And he's doing that while Kareem Hunt is being moved back into the in the game as well and, and doing pretty well. And Baker was good overall. It's good to see Baker back. We've talked about it previously. Um, even if they did do that against all the penalties they're giving away as again. But no helmets ripped off Miami players, so that's nice. Um, Miami are fine, but they kind of had a couple of high-risk plays here. They went for a fake punt, a couple of unfortunate penalties, and the defense is pretty poor. Like, 41 points against Cleveland is pretty bad. Um, though I suppose Baltimore had a similar thing. Um, but, like, the, the offense is only okay. Uh, and I think, you know, against a team like Cleveland, which is on the upswing, I think it was shown up that Miami... There's been promising signs, but they're not really up to it against a team that's ready to play. No, of course. Uh, next up, Detroit at Washington, uh, 16 to 19. Yeah, like the Detroit team completely shot themselves in the foot in this game. They allowed, a, a, to be fair to it, an absolutely lovely return touchdown for the for the Mazungus. I was texting you as it was happening. Um, but yeah, like Driscoll is not particularly good. He 
just basically handed the ball over to them and allowed them to to be winning this game. Washington's offense still sputtering away. Uh, the rookie McLaren looked good, had a couple of very nice catches, but realistically, like this was a t- this was a game where both teams were essentially trying to lose from the looks of things, and uh, yeah, Detroit just managed to lose a little bit harder than uh, Washington did. Uh, Oakland at the Jets, 3-34. I love this result. I was not expecting it to be this one-sided. Uh, tell me about it. Yeah, to, just to, to like about that last game, the only thing of note was uh, the, the quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, forgetting to kneel at the game at the end. because he was Oh, yeah, he went, to, he went into the stands and took a selfie so that to yeah. bring in the Case Keenum or whoever it is yeah. to, uh, to kneel out the tail end of the game. Yeah, not a, not a well-run organization. But uh, no. speaking of uh, organizations with, with questionable running... Uh, the you know, the Oakland hype bubble like basically fell off a cliff as as Connor has been predicting uh, for a while for numerous weeks. Um, they made new the Jets look good, although they have been playing better to be fair recently. But you know, Darnold balls out with three hundred yard over three hundred yards, two touchdowns, and the the D, which has actually been getting pretty good, especially against the run, uh, had a really good performance here. Um, which Amal Adams getting half a sack and seven tackles. He's just playing like a maniac right now. And for Oakland, I don't know what happened, but nothing worked. The run game didn't work. Carr didn't work. They both just looked really bad, and then they were pulled uh, late because the game was out of hand. And the defense... They're actually, this, that, that's one point that I noticed. Is like They were pulled, and they were pulled earlier than I would have expected as well. Yeah, and I think that I think that's kind of John Gruden maybe making a point. It's like you know, you guys, if you're not booking up, I'm just going to pull you and whatever. Get the fuck out of here. Um, so I think like it wasn't a great game to watch, except if you're a Jets fan or if you're a Chiefs fan. But uh, for Oakland, we'll see if they can turn their side. Maybe it's just a blip away from home, crossing the country. Um, but definitely worrying signs for a team which I think we always thought had fairly small margins to work with given well, this is what we said like like they were they were cheering the fact that they beat the Bengals by a score putting up 17 points they got two points over the Chargers and that was just that was Charger ineptitude that that, that cost them that like it was they've not been a good team at all like let's be honest um but I'm still terrified because we are playing them now even though we're coming off a bye that we might be uh you know trap game looking past because we have the Patriots the week afterwards so uh I'm not writing them off just yet. Uh, next up, the Giants at Chicago, 14-19. to This was a horrible game of football. Um, two defences played okay. Uh, in I seem to be saying this every single week. Trubisky showed a couple of really nice throws and a couple of good decisions, and he started to move a little bit more. I think he had eight or ten rushes in this. But then was just bookending every decent throw with two or three what the fuck was that kind of things. It was it was awful. The Giants, like, Jones had very little yardage here. Uh, he threw two touchdowns, but like 150 yards. Saquon Barkley has just not been the same player at all, averaging three and a half yards per carry. It's just, yeah, it was just it was just a very, very hard game to watch any of to be honest um, yeah. so I'm happy to just leave it at that about that game uh, Carolina at New Orleans ah this was I was surprised at how close this one was uh, Lutz field goal wins it for New Orleans uh, it was a good performance from them uh, Christian McCaffrey obviously doing his thing uh, more picking up over 100 yards it was uh, it was impressive but they still had mistakes like missed 
uh, I think it was a two-pointer, uh, a few bits like that. Uh, New Orleans looking good, but not that strong at times. Like it, 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 Breeze obviously doesn't have the arm strength that he once had, but he does have the accuracy and the timing with his receivers that he that he needs. But it does make you worry somewhat about you know what's happened previous years with New Orleans doing well and then starting to slow down as it gets later in the season and Breeze gets a little bit more tired. Actually, I feel like we're saying that almost every week as well. <laughs> like it's a, it's, it's a decent win for them, but it's also, this is not a game when you look at it on paper with um, Allen, a quarterback for the Panthers, that, that should have been this close. Yeah, I think, you know, they got lucky here. Like Joey Sly is, is in trouble in Carolina, their kicker, because he had two missed extra points and a late field goal. He missed that to give New Orleans the opportunity to win the game with their field goal. Uh, mm-hmm. It would have been probably a tie otherwise. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I think Caroline obviously came in here looking to make a statement to stay relevant to the NFC. And I think they kind of threw everything they had at it. And, you know, Caroline looked better. Uh, I probably helped by the fact that Marshawn Lattimore is out for New Orleans. I think that defense does look a lot more suspicious on the back end in the defensive backfield without Lattimore. I think just like he really pulls that defense together. Uh, to, to paraphrase a, a movie term. Um, and DJ Moore looked really, really good. He's just such a, a yards-after-the-catch monster, uh, and I think they're getting round actually using him that way. And obviously, run CMC is amazing. He just gets yards. And this is one of his lesser good, less good games. He was, uh, I think he was only um, around 100 and something yards rather than like 200 and something oh, yards. Oh, cut him now. <laughs> I think he's around 140. But uh, I think for New Orleans, you're right. They're so reliant right now on Michael Thomas. He's on, you know, on on, on trend to get a, you know, a record number of receptions in a year. Uh, Kamara's come back in and they're leaning on him a bit. And then Jared, Jared Cook, their tight end, is getting a bit more action as well. But I think all of those illustrate the fact that, yeah, like their, their ability to stretch the field to prevent the defense from compressing and pushing up on them is being reduced and, and it's more likely to be a problem in the playoffs. But I do think they did try a few deep balls to try and change that. Uh, there was a there was a miscatch by uh, Ted Ginn that probably should have been caught on a deep ball. So I do think that like as the season winds down going into the playoffs, I expect them to continue to mix in a bit more of Ted Ginn and similar and try and just make people aware that Drew Brees can throw it long. Uh, and can keep that part of the offense going. But I think right now, the Kamara-Thomas short to medium game is just so efficient, it's hard to go away from it. Uh, and I think they only, it's probably a good thing that that, that they won as well, uh, because there was another uh, phantom PI call on their defense, according to... Uh, well, basically was reviewed by the boot and then overturned uh, as PI when it hadn't been called as PI. And obviously, the irony... It's just too much for New Orleans. So it's good that they managed to win this game because otherwise the, the insufferable New Orleans conspiracy fans uh, would have been overwhelming, I imagine. Yeah, no, it would have been uh, insufferable, I think, would be the term I go for. Seattle at Philly, uh, 17-9. to This was like it's a good win for Seattle to get it. They're traveling across the road, but they did not look like they were firing in all cylinders. Wilson missed, like... I think you've in the notes here they missed an, an, an open TD. To be honest, I think there was two touchdowns really that, uh, that, that that didn't happen, although one could maybe be put on Metcalf for misreading where the ball was going to be coming in. Their defense stepped up again, three sacks, two interceptions, and Penny did a good job in the run game. But 
like this Eagles team is just unfortunate to be watching at the moment. Like I think we could rock up and probably start at wide receiver for them at the moment with the amount of injuries that they've got <laughs> going on. Uh, two hundred fifty yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions for Wentz. Not a wild pile happening in the run game. Like, and Wentz is also, and maybe it's just a not being used to the receivers thing, or maybe it's just a lack of practice. But like. He seems to be holding on to the ball a little bit longer. He's slower in getting the ball out. He doesn't seem to be trusting the guys, so he's not throwing with any anticipation either. Like, their defense is doing an okay job that if they even had maybe, like, just one more competent receiver on the field, that they might be able to do a little bit more damage. But even in a bad performance from Seattle, I never really felt like Philadelphia were threatening them. Yeah, I think Seattle probably could have won this game much more comfortably, but a few mistakes and open. Yeah, like I know there was another one, but the one to Hollister was just so blatant. Like mm. Russell was just standing right there. Yeah, Russell was doing magic bullshit in his way, and then the tight end is based Hollister is completely isolated on like the right hand side of the uh, of the end zone, and then he just throws it over him when there was like no one within like five, ten yards of him. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Wilson was off form, and Tyler Lockett looks a little bit banged up. Hopefully, he gets healthy. Um. But yeah, the defense stepped up big, which is it's really good because the Seattle defense hasn't really been that good. And Rashad Penny, their first round pick, uh, finally did something, which was nice after Carson fumbled a bit. But yeah, like this is kind of similar to the 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 Indianapolis Houston game we talked about, where where one team has. A, a higher margin for for error because they can get big plays. They can get a a fifty yard run touchdown. They can get the occasional big pass to someone like Tyler Lockett to kill out the game. Whereas on the other side, I think you're right. Wentz doesn't trust the offense right now because he doesn't trust the people around him. It's very reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers a few years ago when when they had mm. all those wide receivers he didn't trust and outside of Ertz he's just looking around he's waiting for stuff to happen and we've always known that Wentz is one of those guys who who probably tries to overplay he tries to carry to the team a little bit too much rather than just throwing the ball away or playing efficiently and I think in a game like this um you know his mistakes his interceptions ended up being very costly in terms of allowing Seattle easy opportunities to get out of like tricky situations no, of course and can I also just point out for all of the Angry Philly fans who are going to be saying, oh, they just hate our team. We did just compare him to Aaron Rodgers in that analysis, okay? <laughs> so, like, take that as your nugget from what was a very poor performance from your team as being the positive you can look at. We do believe that there is, that Wentz is still good and that this can still be a good offense, but with the injuries that are there and with the trust that he has in the wide receivers to be where they're meant to be, the way that they design their offense, it that has to change or he needs to get comfortable with leading the receivers and trusting they'll get there. Yeah. And to be honest, even with their full complement of receivers, there's, there's not much future upside there. So I think maybe hopefully some of these young guys, they'll learn from this tough, tough experience and they'll, they'll move on from it. And, you know, yeah, like both of these D's played pretty well, but one team had explosive plays, the other didn't. And that's what made the difference again here. Yeah. Big time. 12. Tampa Bay at Atlanta, thirty-five to twenty-two. Um, yeah, yeah, the Atlanta hype train is off the uh, off the rails. Yeah, on unseated by Jameis Winston doing one of his better performances, and the fact that his better performances include two interceptions is just that's that's so Jameis. Uh, three hundred yards or so on twenty-three attempts, three touchdowns with Chris Godwin absolutely going apeshit on this Atlanta defense, which we oh, had yeah. thought had stiffened up 184 yards, two touchdowns. Like 
whatever about Tampa Bay, there's been lots of issues this year. The wide receivers, they're fine. Like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are liable to just blow up other teams on a yeah. day. And yeah, that 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 Atlanta offense is just so pass dependent right now. And to be honest, that was also true when Devonta Freeman was healthy and he was out this game. Um, mm-hmm. So you basically just have two teams here who are completely unreliable, completely inconsistent, look like world beaters one week, absolutely crap the next week. And it just happened in this case that the Atlanta played the crap card and Tampa Bay played their good card uh, in a game which, to be honest, had no implications for anyone whatsoever. No, no. Uh, I think the only implication coming off it is basically do Tampa Bay give uh, Winston... They can't. If if it was good days, two interceptions is not acceptable. And like to be fair, like if you had like if you, how many quarterbacks would look around equally good if you have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans to throw? That's them? true. That's true. But I, I was listening to a conversation on another podcast about this. It is an interesting point though that if Bruce Arians is there and he's probably at most one more year, maybe two, if he really decides to bet in, like. I'm not sure he wants to start off fresh with a new quarterback in that period. So I, I know it, who you should get then. Get Ryan Fitzpatrick in that offense. Oh wow, yeah, he would, would have magic some, happen. <laughs> he would have some fun there. Um, also, to be honest, actually, this Cam Newton in there would be great as well. Oh yeah, uh, that'll be that'll be unreal. Don't have a running back. Oh, that doesn't matter. Good. Uh, next up, another stinker of a game: uh, Denver at uh, Buffalo. I say stinker. The Tampa Bay one was 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 exciting at least. Uh, yeah. Actually, can I just check something? Because I remember watching it and thinking this is the most Jameis Winston start again. So he came onto the field. His first throw was an interception. Was it his second throw that was the touchdown, or was that his third throw? Uh, I think it was the second one. But, but yeah, so he literally I, had a stat line of like uh, one of two for 75 yards, a touchdown and an interception, which is him in a nutshell. Or it's, it's something approximating that. Denver 3, Buffalo 20. Look, Buffalo very easily won this game. Eight, they're now 8-3. and three. Their defense is looking good. A couple of sacks and an interception. They got Singletary in the game running very well over 100 yards. Gore goes into the third all-time yardage position with his 65 yards today. And Denver does absolutely nothing. Allen is not the solution at quarterback. I think we're all just on the on the wait now for their for their rookie to not be injured and just give him a run out and see what happens. Like Lindsay looked good, but there was only so much that, you know, that team could actually do. Denver are not good and not in a good position and this, even the little bits that they do didn't match up well against this uh, Buffalo team. So, yeah, one-sided win that taught us nothing about either team, really. <laughs> um, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, 16-10. Uh, to 10. No one was murdered in this game, or at least no one was assaulted on the pitch. What else happened? Yeah, except for Rudolph's, you know, quarterback career in yeah. the NFL. <laughs> but, yeah, like Pittsburgh, they labored to this win. It was pretty obvious that their defense was... Uh, better they had four sacks and they were you know killing ryan finley uh most of the game and the run game was pretty effective like snell got 98 yards on on the attempts he had this was basically the pittsburgh template uh but rudolph was so bad um that they just about scraped it in and they got two late field goals to clear out the game but like yeah duck hodges was better but we've talked about that already on the on the cincinnati side you know they're moribund outside of Mixon. Uh, an occasional deep ball to Boyd, which looked nice, and their defense we know is trash. Um, mm. So I think based on this, based on this game, the decisions we talked about earlier in the news section in terms of quarterback changes, perfectly justified. 
And the only interesting thing is to imagine what these teams might look like next week based on the changes that they've made now. Yeah, no, big time. This was a get-right game in the weirdest of ways. It's a game where they got right and benched some quarterbacks. <laughs> um, Jacksonville at Tennessee, 20-42. to 42. Ooh, my. Uh, Derek Henry just destroyed Jacksonville in the second half. 160 yards, two touchdowns. Tannehill looked very good, uh, over 250 yards. He had a, like, a running touchdown, two passing touchdowns. And their defense did a decent job. This team with with uh, Tannehill just looks so much different from how it looked beforehand uh, with Mariota behind. Foles was back in the game for Jacksonville and just doesn't quite look right there. He had like decent yardage. They got Fournette going a bit for nearly 102 touchdowns, but like most of it was at the tail end when they were down by a pile already. Ike. This Tennessee team looks a lot better, but is still flawed, but like looks a lot better. This Jacksonville team, like they are going to have to clean house. Foles doesn't look like the right solution at the moment. Not that Minshew is like amazing, but I would definitely be considering in in some of the ilk of the of the other ones who made the call this week. I'd be considering just putting Minshew back in. The team looked a little bit better on it. The play action worked better in that kind of position. It just just feels bad but like you're looking at this Jacksonville team now and you're just thinking right what pieces are going to be there next year because the coaching staff are going to be gone maybe the GM stuff will be gone as well they'll be bringing in some new people like and some a lot of new players you gotta yeah. imagine this is a yeah and like this is a team with Tom Coughlin as their GM or effectively GM and a team that's supposed to be built around the trenches and they're losing the trenches their offensive line is trash their defensive line can't stop the run. Like this is a team that's supposed to be, you know, good at those things, uh, and they're not. And it's just, yeah, like yeah, they probably need to tear it all down or get a completely different philosophy because right now it isn't working at all. No, not at all. Dallas and New England, nine to thirteen. The fuckers couldn't get it done. Uh, tense <laughs> win for New England. Uh, yeah, like their defense finishes it off, and their special teams put them in that spot with a blocked punt and everything. Their offense does not look good in the slightest. Their defense looks good, but it was also, we will give them the, the, to be fair, it was horrendous conditions there. It looked to be very windy, very rainy, very crappy. Um, there was a couple of other bits in this as well. Like the, obviously the coaching from the New England side was much better than it was from the Dallas side. Dallas should have been doing more in this game. They should have gotten a lot more going. Like Zeke was okay, but we've mentioned this the last couple of weeks. He's just not been the same guy of late. Um, the big one that turned up in this as well was apparently the NFL referees have gotten some kind of missive to start focusing in on tripping because there was two tripping calls in this against Lyman that were just complete ghost calls. Are we sure they haven't like mixed up like a, a, a rule change regarding like the substance abuse policy and on the field policy? Oh, he's tripping like... on the field. <laughs> ah, that could be it. But yeah, no, that call was complete bullshit, and it's even worse because, like, uh, you know, all of the referee people, like Al Riveron, who was on the on the telecast, basically was justifying it. But like the second one in particular, in the fourth quarter, when you mm. know it was a huge setback for Dallas uh, to, to 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 give away those yards. Um, basically, the offensive lineman looked like he was getting out of the way. He was trying to like oh, like not trip up the player deliberately, presumably because of the earlier tripping call that's yeah. just unprecedented. And it's just, it, I don't know what was going on with that call. Now, don't 
don't don't don't don't give away too much pressure on Dallas because their coaching staff, Garrett in particular, their coward has showed up here deep into the fourth quarter. Um, they were down uh, by seven, I believe, or six or seven, and they went for no, sorry, by seven, and they went for a field goal deep in the yeah. fourth quarter with a short field on fourth down where they had a chance to get a touchdown and apparently that like according to the stats models that reduced their chance of winning the game and that's just you know in a in a in a in, a, in an age in a year where teams like baltimore are using analytics to give themselves an extra edge and obviously bill belichick has probably got that going somewhere as well you know to have this mm-hmm. level of like old school cowardly coaching is just there and you can sense uh, from the public statements made by Jerry Jones, that he's feeling like, I've made a good team here. I've built a team full of talent. Well, of course, he would claim credit, even though it's mostly about people, him being kept away from the team selection, <laughs> probably that helped them. Uh, but he's getting frustrated because he knows this is a good team. He's paid a lot of money for it, and they're getting, you know, failing to go for a fourth and short. When you have Zeke Elliott, when you have Dak Prescott playing this well, um, for New England, yeah, it's the usual formula. Like they, they, the defense shut them down. I think they only had two third down conversions. Dallas Gilmore got a pick, a great diving pick, and the, yeah, Slater gets another block punt. And their offense, like yeah, they converted the short fields they had. I think maybe the one bright spot for them is that Sony Michelle got going again. Uh, now that they put a linebacker in at fullback, uh, I think if they get that run game going again, that can start inching them towards having a functional enough offense that they can start to be about where they were last year. And obviously we know that's probably good enough to at least be competitive in the AFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least last year's AFC. I'm not sure about this year's AFC. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> so we'll leave it at that on that one. Green Bay at San Fran. This was a one-sided whooping, 8-37. to 37. Um, Yeah, tell me a bit about this. You stayed up and watched this, didn't you? Yeah, I stayed up and watched this. Uh, watched my fantasy teams fail me and give you a chance to, to slip in there. Yeah, coming for you. <laughs> but yeah, no, San Francisco dominated from the very first uh, minute. Like uh, on Green Bay's first drive, they they had a first fumble and then they converted a very short Coleman uh, TD run. Uh, Rodgers on 33 attempts had 104 yards and a touchdown. Like that's not good. Uh, and for San Francisco, we've been talking about the injuries that have been hurting them, but I think they got back their most important piece on offense, George Kittle, and he dominated in this game, even though he's apparently still a little bit knocked up. 120 yards and a touchdown, including a, a, a touchdown that killed off the game in the third quarter on play action, and he was pretty good in the blocking play as well. He's getting he's getting that kind of Gronk love where they kind of, oh, he can block too, isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, and, you know, Jimmy G in the run game were fine otherwise, but like Green Bay... The, the defense was okay. They got three sacks, but no turnovers. Um, but there's just such a huge gap we saw here between these two so-called contenders. I think in Green Bay, we're seeing a team that kind of relies on its kind of special bits to carry them through the tough times, like Aaron Rodgers. Whereas in San Francisco, we'd see a complete team that is just stacked with talent from top to bottom. And it's just been coached so well uh, by a, by an offensive genius. Because we know Kyle Shanahan, when his offenses get going, they are really, really hard to stop. And with a defense like that, that's just a, an amazing package we can see there. Yeah, that was one of the only ones on the games that we differed on last week. That's the only one that, uh, that got me. I uh, I got all I got the other three correct, but that one I just had too much faith in this Green Bay team, and I really shouldn't have because I think 
I think there was probably an element of me that was underrating just how good this San Francisco defense was, and now there's no doubting at all. Like I'm just so hyped for the for the upcoming game this week against Baltimore. It's going to be great. Uh, speaking of Baltimore, they are on Monday Night Football against the Rams. Can the Rams do anything to uh, stop Baltimore? Uh, no, no is the answer. <laughs> Forty-five to six. Uh, yeah, like Lamar just looks. Phenomenal again. Five touchdowns, nearly 100 yards rushing. Ingram had over 100 on the ground. Their defense, two sacks, two interceptions, just destroying them. Like, Goff looked poor, 200 yards, two interceptions. Gurley, like, less than, or about two yards a carry, something along those lines. Like, it is just, uh, it is just difficult to watch. And, the Rams are probably better than this scoreline suggests, but it also shows that they are nowhere near the contending entity that they were beforehand, whereas Baltimore just keep on rolling and roll into a phenomenal matchup against the San Francisco 49ers this upcoming week. So I'm, I'm just pumped for that. Uh, for the Rams, yeah, not looking great for you. Even if you sneak yeah. into the playoffs, you're clearly not ready to sit at the big boys' table this year. So apparently there was a little bit of a fracas between Marcus Peters and Jalen Ramsey in the in the tunnel after the game and uh marcus peters uh separately from that was also giving a bit of shade to his uh former employers basically taking yeah. great pleasure in his opinion knocking the rams out of the playoffs yeah no i was, I was hearing about that as well so i think uh yeah that, that that baltimore defense and the pieces they've picked up during the season to kind of fix their bits as they were going is just uh, it's it's just incredible how well it's working for them um so I suppose we'll go and take some questions from the listeners Okay, so first up, this one comes from Alan. He says, 49ers and Ravens have come out of essentially nowhere to be this dominant. Who from the lower teams do you think could make the big jump next year? As was Ravens, we kind of saw a little bit at the tail end of the yeah. season last year. Uh, but it was like no one was expecting it to be this good. The yeah. 49ers as well, like they were... They were poor, but I suppose they were missing quarterback and stuff like that. But yeah, like no one was expecting these guys. Like there was no, you know, hashtag gradual progress. This was just a pure jump uh, to a whole other level for these guys. So who do we think of the lower end teams could make the jump next year? Um, it depends how the, big of a jump. <laughs> yeah, like the obvious one I would think would be like I'd be thinking about teams that are outside of a glaring issue probably competitor level um uh rosters so the first one that would pop into my head would be chicago if they could get a halfway decent quarterback in that building i think they'd immediately be in a playoff look and if they could get a even just a good quarterback they would be very much a, a, a super bowl contender in my mind yeah, I think another one I would think of, I know they're, they're actually doing that bad this season, but the Colts, I feel, are a team that could mm. jump into being like one of the super teams if they make just a few nice acquisitions, maybe, maybe a quarterback, but certainly at the skill positions. Uh, if you're talking about like a, a deeper sleeper uh, type of situation, I actually, I think the Dolphins might be pretty interesting next year. I think with all the really? capital they have, they could have a season like the Raiders are having this year, where they just get a bunch of really talented rookies. Because I think Brian Flores, I, I think the way that things were going, it would have been very easy for the team to just fall into morass. But the fact that the fact that they're still playing for him, that they're still competing week in, week out, um, I think is a good show, even though he kind of screwed up the quarterback situation. Um, yeah. On the NFC side, another 
like this is again another deep sleeper. I I, I think the Lions are a team that if they could stay healthy and just get a bit more, get that defense going a little bit better, a bit more talent on that thing, I think they could make that jump. They're in a really tough division, obviously in the NFC North, but I, I kind of, like Matt Patricia, it's been underwhelming so far, but I do feel he might have something there to kind of get going. Mm-hmm. I think like seeing a few defensive coaches actually do something wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either. Yeah, uh, I put one out there actually that I don't know, you might, you might heavily disagree with me on this one. I think the Jets could be incredibly good next year. If they fire think, Adam Gase. Yeah, if they fire Adam Gase, no problem. Or even if it's just like they get it figured out now. Because I've been digging into them because obviously they performed well the last three weeks. But like, I like that what they've got at quarterback. I think they've got decent enough weapons. They could add some bits outside. Like Robbie Anderson is infuriating because he's incredibly good. But will also just decide, all right, I'm going to have a three-touchdown, 140-yard game today. And then the next two weeks, I'm going to put up about 30 yards a game. Uh, and then I'm going to do it again. Like. Yeah. But they've got the pieces there. They've got some great young talent, like Jamal Adams, nice defensive pieces and everything. Like, And I still think that that division outside of New England is going to be soft. And who knows, maybe New England looks a little bit different next year with Tom Brady coming out of his contract and all that kind of stuff. But I just think, I think they're one that it wouldn't be a monumental change in personnel that would do it. I think they're actually close. Because if you knock out the games when Darnold's not there, slash the week or two when he's coming back from mono, like, they've actually been playing very good football. Yeah, I think, like, they're a team that probably needs to bulk up their trenches a bit. Like, they probably need some help on the defensive line and the offensive mm-hmm. line. But, yeah, there's certainly the basis there. But as I said, like, I think the, the big takeaway I would take from the fact these two teams are doing so well this year is the coaches like we know John Harbaugh is a stud we know like the fact that he was there were rumors of firing him last year like we said at the time ridiculous and now he was given Lamar and a quarterback who's so dynamic and he's built so quickly that whole thing around at the end of last year and with a full mm-hmm. offseason just built a team prime to create one of the greatest offenses uh in the NFL and then I think you know even last year when we saw when the 49ers were struggling they were they had like they were down to their third string quarterback were were still giving decent offensive showings. I think you could see still there that Shanahan was a good coach, maybe hamstrung by injuries. I think probably still hamstrung by a GM who isn't that good in my opinion. Um, but they have a lot of cap space to burn recently. Uh, yeah. But I think you see they are two good coaches. So that's why I'd be a bit down on the Jets. I'm not sure to get. But if they got someone like Jim Harbaugh in the building. Ooh, you yeah, got some real, awesome. Then you got yourself a stew, boy. <laughs> oh, then you got yourself a stew. Uh, this one comes in from Marcus. He says, uh, Tannehill looks to be playing himself into a job after a poor start to his career. What? Who from the young quarterbacks do you think could turn it around with another team? So, yeah, this is in relation, obviously, we were discussing it earlier. Tannehill looks very, very good now that, uh, on this team. I think they're scoring something like 15 or 16 points more a game with him in there than they were with Mariota. Um, in terms of players who could move on from their current situations and find success, um, like there's, there's probably a couple of different stratospheres in this. Of like, There's ones where it's that they've played poorly and there's ones where it's circumstance. So like the likes of your Teddy Bridgewaters have probably played well enough to get a shot somewhere if they wanted to look at it and look like they could with a decent surrounding cast play well but that would be more due to injury that caused that rather than him necessarily playing poorly beforehand and then having to find a fresh start from that anyone spring to mind for yourself i'm not sure if he qualifies as young and i don't think mm. you i don't think you necessarily agree with me but i think Derek carr is the type of quarterback 
that just needs to be put with a coach who who wants to accentuate his strengths. I think he's a bit like Alex Smith. He's gone through a lot of different offenses and stuff like that. But we know what he is. He's a West Coast a West Coast quarterback. He likes to play it safe, maybe run it occasionally, uh, and just be efficient. And I think you know the, the tensions have been obvious since John Gruden came in there. Uh, and I could see him bringing his career around. I don't think he's ever going to be an elite quarterback, but a bit like Tannehill, I think putting the right system that accentuates his strengths, he could be a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. Uh, beyond that, um, there's obviously you know good young quarterbacks tend to not get moved around much. Uh, but, you know, maybe there's a chance for Mariota. I don't think I'd get rid of him completely. And I think he is similar to Tannehill. He just needs a coach to teach him how to throw the ball, basically be a bit more confident mm. in himself. Because he has many of that skill set in terms of being a running and passing threat. He just needs to learn to trust himself again. Uh, but once again, yeah, he needs well, someone, to nurture, someone for, to nurture him. For my, for my, for my second one on this, I suppose I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal your guy, uh, Swag Kelly. Let's uh, <laughs> let's see him land into somewhere where he can't get himself in in, in too much trouble, and uh, and then see what he can maybe do. Because like we said, he's like you know he he had he has the physical gifts for the position. He's just a fucking moron. So uh, maybe maybe he could turn it around in somewhere where they just say no, cop yourself on. Uh, we're we're, we're going to try and fix that. And finally, this last one comes in. There's no name on this one. Uh, any big surprises expected in the race to the playoffs? The NFC looks mostly set, and the AFC looks probably about sixty percent set. So yeah, the NFC is pretty solidified outside of like the NFC East, where it's the it's Dallas and Eagles duking it out to be the fourth seed because yeah they're they're behind everyone else but the division winner is going to get in outside of that i think we kind of know four if not the other five yeah i think we basically know the other five outside of a real collapse now i know the the nfc contenders are all playing each other a bit over the next few weeks but it's just Mm -hmm. i think there's like a, a two to three game gap over all the potential contenders and those potential contenders have been all over the shop in the afc like yeah a lot more uncertainty there's still much to play for in the afc south um, technically, the Bills I suppose, have a chance against New England, though I wouldn't bet on it. Um, yeah. Oakland have a chance against Kansas City. Oh yeah, I, like this is the thing. I, if, would, if, I wouldn't if bet they that win either. the game upcoming, then uh, then then they're tied for the division lead, and I don't even know where the tiebreakers go then because we'd have a win each against each other, and I think I think we maybe have a better AFC West record at the moment, but I don't know. Yeah, so I think the only one that's like locked in place is that the Ravens are going to be in the playoffs. Um, as and the Patriots division, uh, and yeah, I, I I wouldn't completely dismiss the Bills yet, but yeah, no, oh, no, no, sorry, like, sorry, I just I just meant that they're definitely. In the oh well, yeah, 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 yeah. But like to be fair, Buffalo have a really tight grip on the last wild card spot, so the real uncertainty we're going to have in in week seventeen is to be uh, yet another like another edition of the AFC number six wild card extravaganza, where oh, teams yeah. like the Titans and the Colts and the Browns and. And other random teams like Oakland. Well, this is the thing. So I'm I'm, I'm expecting what we're going to be looking for for that for that last wildcard spot is a proper race. So we're going to have Oakland in there, but Oakland are probably not going to be able to because they'll probably fall off, drop at least another game, and they're already losing the tiebreaker against the Jets. I think the Jets could be in with a sniff of having a chance at that last one if there's a bit of a collapse from some of the other teams because it's going to be Browns, Indianapolis, Raiders. Titans yeah, and five. Jets, maybe like that's the Steelers are in there too. I know you don't. Ah, they are in there. <laughs> they do well, like like basically, yeah. You have 
you have on six and five, you have the Raiders and the Steelers and the Colts and the Titans right now. Browns on five and six, and then you have the Jets and the Chargers at four and seven. Like they all have a shot. These teams are way too inconsistent to say anything. I think right now I would probably favor a team like the Colts. Um, but yeah, both are like the Browns and the Jets would probably be a bit more interesting. But the Colts are probably the the team that's most solid among all of those um, alongside Tennessee. But no, we don't want no Tennessee. No. No, no, I no really don't want to see because also fucking Der- Derek Henry is just our kryptonite. Like I'd, I'd just be fucking terrified of Tennessee at the moment. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll be talking more about the playoff picture over the next couple of weeks as it becomes clear. Um, I think is it still only the um, is it still only the Bengals that are completely eliminated from playoff contention? Oh, I believe so, and, and I believe this week brings up the first set of uh, clinching scenarios for I believe the Patriots. Uh, the Saints and the 49ers. Okay, very good. I suppose on that lovely note, we'll move on and have a look at the games for this week. Okay, so first up, we have Chicago at Detroit. Uh, these are the Thanksgiving games, so there's three Thursday games uh, this this week. Uh, I've gone for Detroit, and you've gone for Chicago. Yeah, who knows with these teams? They're both really bad. Yeah. Um, I think the Chicago defense showed up a bit this week. I could see them getting a lot of pressure, maybe getting a few turnovers. And Jeff Driscoll, he's looked okay at points, but like that, that, that the ending to that game where they lost against the Mazungus, uh, there's a chance he might just be going like lost his confidence, end up blowing this is, up. But, is uh, Stafford definitely out for this week? Or he, I believe he's definitely out for this week. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, like, obviously- to be fair, like he's probably Jeff Driscoll isn't that much worse is he even worse than Mitch Trubisky who knows these teams yeah it's a bad game and uh, yeah. not a great way to start Thanksgiving bad game I'm picking just the home team and yeah, yeah I just don't trust the Chicago team on the road uh, Buffalo Dallas we've both gone for Dallas um, for me it's just because of the traveling element here because I don't think Dallas are playing up to their skill level and I think Buffalo are playing quite well um, yeah but I think Buffalo have kind of struggled when they get into uh, games that require a bit more scoring. They're just such a... They're very pedestrian, I think, even with Singletary in there, who's definitely kind of speed them up a little bit. I think Josh Allen is just so inconsistent there. And I think mm. Dallas, after that loss to New England, they're at home. They're looking to make a statement. I think they'll they'll bring out all the stops and push up Buffalo defense, which is good at times, but I don't think is anywhere near being an elite unit. And I think with no. Dak in the chair... They'll get it out to Cooper. They'll get it. Well, he definitely wants to get catches this week. They'll get it out to Cooper. They'll get it out to Gallup. And they'll throw enough, get enough points that Buffalo just can't keep up. That's going to be the problem yeah. for Buffalo all the way down the stretch. Um, I'd say I'm going to, like, if, if Buffalo win this game, I'm going to start being like the, maybe maybe there is a chance for them to, <laughs> <laughs> which would just be gas. Uh, New Orleans and Atlanta. We're both taking New Orleans. Half expecting kind of a bit of a revenge game for the absolute shit show that they had when they played Atlanta two weeks ago, I think it was. Yeah, Maybe three. Like, who knows with Atlanta? Like, you know, we, we thought they were getting into a reputation of like a late season search and then they pooped the bed against Tampa Bay. Uh, but New Orleans are the superior team at pretty much every level from coaching to personnel to mm-hmm. offense, defense. So you just can't bet against them here. Uh, to no, finish at Thanksgiving. 100%. Uh, Tennessee at Indianapolis. I've gone for Tennessee and you've gone for Indy. Um, I've just gone for Tennessee because I think Indy haven't gotten it figured out properly at the moment. They're looking sluggish and I think they're slipping their way out of the playoff contention. I think Tennessee, because we discussed Tannehill earlier on, has them looking better and I just think 
yet their run game looks looks pretty fucking good as well at the moment. I don't like the thumbtacks when I'm picking them to win. Yeah, I think if these are two teams that will probably tend to play quite quite similarly. They'll run the ball a lot. Like the offense, for the, the, the quarterback is kind of the, the, the trailer here. Um, I think I'm, I'm probably hoping to a certain extent that Indianapolis to get a little bit healthier. I know it's a short week. Well, that's not a short week, but it's like, you know, maybe get a little bit healthier. T.Y. gets a bit more step and Jacoby gets a bit more used to being back in the squad. And then they can overcome here. Like they're obviously at home. Their home away splits have been pretty good in their favor, uh, mostly this season. Um, so I think at home they, they can probably put on a good show and grind out a win here. But it will be a grinding game. Yeah. Next up's my pick of the week. I've been excited for this for about three or four weeks now. San Francisco at Baltimore. We've both taken Baltimore in this game, but this is going to be a hell of a matchup. This is top offense in the league versus top defense in the league, and neither of them are poor on the other side of the ball. Like Baltimore's defense is performing exceptionally well of late. San Fran's offense has been looking very nice of late. Um, yeah, this should just be a really good, exciting game. I'm giving the edge to Baltimore because they're at home in this one. Uh, but you can you can see either team win. But this should just be this should be fireworks. Like this is like what watch this separately after you watch Red Zone. I think it's going to be that kind of that kind of game. You know. Yeah, and like yeah, like this is like Lamar Jackson is is the MVP favorite right now, and if he comes yeah. out and puts on a show like he's been putting on in recent weeks, and he's been doing it some pretty good teams as well recently, then that is basically the MVP like race sewn up in my opinion. No matter how well Russell Wilson plays down the stretch, I think you know San Francisco they aren't quite as good against the run, so I imagine we'll see a lot of uh, of Ingram to try and like soften them up a bit, get them going that way. Uh, and it's just going to be a huge challenge for, I think, the linebackers in particular for San Francisco, who are obviously missing Quan Alexander now. Can they stretch it up? Can they get it done? Like Robert Salas from the Seahawks school, they don't tend to be as flexible in terms of like adjusting to the offense. But mm-hmm. I think Lamar is just so good right now that if you choose to pay like linebackers too often or stuff like that, you will end up suffering for it. Um, oh, but course. yeah, I think San Francisco definitely have a shot, but... Yeah, Baltimore, just the way that they're so good on both sides of the ball right now, it's really hard to pick against them. But yeah. I think San Francisco's offense is, it's been good, but they are a little bit reliant on maybe the play action paying off um, it, when Jimmy G's been doing pretty well and, and the big plays from Debo Samuel. So if Baltimore can stop that, they should be good in this game. No, of course. Uh, very different in the spectrum game. Jets <laughs> at Cincinnati. We've both gone for the Jets. I think the only interesting question is, will they hit 34 points again? Because that would be four straight weeks of scoring the same amount of points. Um, Cincinnati, even with Dalton back, don't really stand much of a chance in this, I don't think. Um, yeah. Cleveland at Pittsburgh, a rematch of the, of the brawl from two weeks ago. We've both gone for Cleveland, team on the up. Offense looking good, defense clicking a little bit better. Pittsburgh, I like their quarterback situation more now. Their defense has been playing really well. They are at home, but I think, yeah, I think this will be the nail in the coffin of the Pittsburgh playoff aspirations. Yeah, this is definitely a heat check game for both teams. Like, this is such a pivotal game in terms of deciding who's going to be worth talking about going forward. And I think Cleveland, they've got Chubb going. I think, and and they got the run game going, and they're actually complementing Baker within that system, putting it run first. That made a huge difference for them, and it was effective enough against Pittsburgh uh, a few weeks ago. 
Uh, I think Pittsburgh, yeah, unless their defense gets a few turnovers, it's very hard to see them doing enough to get going here. Now, maybe like Pittsburgh get a few healthy people back. James Conner is not expected to be back, but might be back. Um, obviously, they have like Juju, etc. Might get a bit more healthy, Deontay Johnson. But yeah, I think on, on based on form, it's hard to pick against Cleveland right now, even in a Heinz Field, where I'm sure they'll get a lovely welcoming reception. Uh, the yeah. team. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, we've got a couple of games in a rapid succession here, which are not very uh, <laughs> good slash interesting. Philly at Miami, both go for Philly. Uh, I don't trust Philly, but I really don't trust Miami. Yeah, like I think they're expected to get some of their receivers back, so that should be enough for them to overcome here. Yeah, Washington and Carolina, both gone for Carolina. Good performance against New Orleans, and the Mazungus are hot garbage. Yeah, like Christian McCaffrey could beat this Washington team by himself, probably. Yeah. Uh, Green Bay at the Giants. Green Bay look good. They did just get destroyed last week, but they still do look good. Um, the Giants look messy. Their running back situation hasn't been good. The quarterbacks regressed a bit. The only thing that they've got going for them at the moment is, I believe the rookie Haskins is approaching the rookie touchdown record, so they'll probably be pushing for that. Yeah, uh, but this is a bad game for the Giants to end up getting Green Bay because they'll probably pull out all the stops to just yeah. annihilate this team. And They're going to be angry. Get those Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers uh, yards racking up again. No, of course. Tampa Bay at Jacksonville. Both go for Tampa Bay. Uh, Jacksonville look rudderless and identity-free identity at the moment. Tampa Bay's identity is simple. They are schizophrenic. <laughs> uh, but I'll take... I'll take a schizophrenic Tampa Bay offense with those wide receivers uh, to beat Jacksonville any day of the week, given how both these teams have played. Yeah. Played. But Foles against that Tampa Bay secondary might have a chance to at least put up some decent yards as well. Maybe so. I just I didn't think he looked great last week, but maybe another week away from the injury, a bit more confidence back practicing with the guys. It could be. Here's a game: uh, the Rams at Arizona. I've gone for Arizona because, well, look, I think they're interesting i like how they play i think that like you look at how they played against like the 49ers and ran them pretty well like this la rams team is no 49ers uh arizona are at home as well and i just i like a lot of the pieces on it and i think you know this is this is a nice spot for them i think i, I think they're also coming off the bye are they yeah and, and i think this is like a, a definition of a, of a trend game like arizona are a team that Obviously, like in the long term, I have all these young pieces and a coach and all that, and maybe on the way up. And then you have a Rams team, obviously you got shut in the Super Bowl. This year has been very disappointing, even if the record isn't that bad. And I think Arizona at home, it will be a massive statement for them, basically like this year a little bit, but definitely for the future, um, that if they get a win over the Rams that that would kind of cement where these two teams are likely to go over the next couple of years, uh, although we know things can change quite fast. So I think, yeah, this is a kind of... I don't think either of these teams will make the playoffs, even if they do manage to win. Arizona certainly not, but I think in terms of the hierarchy of the NFC West, this is a very important game to kind of get a feel for where people are at. Yeah, so you got for the Rams in that one. Next up, uh, AFC West battle, Oakland at Kansas City. This has been flexed into the late period. Um yeah, so we both got for Kansas City. I like us to win this game. Just looking at the performance from Oakland last week, but Oakland have been a better team of late, barring that you know kind of implosion in the Meadowlands. Um, 
They do have some good offensive weapons. Their strengths match up well with the Chiefs' weaknesses. So, you know, uh, Josh Jacobs would probably be able to run all day at, at, at KC at the moment. But we're coming off the bye, which is a plus. Andy Reid is lethal off the bye. My one concern, as I mentioned beforehand, will be he obviously prepares well and kind of owns the AFC West since he's came in as our coach. But we've got New England the week afterwards, which in my mind makes us the definition of a trap game where they will have half an eye on the game afterwards because they had the week off to prepare. And I, that would that would make me worry. That said, I'm still taking KC to win this one. Yeah, like uh, like Mahomes, uh, I believe Tyreek Hill is expected to be back for this game. Yeah, They should, like Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy will probably be back from their, uh, their knocks. And I think just if they have their full complement of weapons available, this Oakland defense isn't that good. They don't really get pressure on the quarterback. That should be enough for basically a, a Casey team coming off the bye, getting healthy, kind of get the fireworks going again, get to that 2018 form. Uh, whether the defense will do much for them on the other side, it's been okay at times, but I don't think it'll really matter if KC are on their 2018 form, which mm. I, I could definitely see them doing here. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to start hitting a bit of run going in towards the playoffs. But yeah, one of the key things I'll be looking out for is the defense and seeing, because they've been in, like improving week on week and you've seen particular players come off very strongly. They're still trying to work out what they're doing with some of the injuries there. So I'll be keeping a close eye to see what that defensive line rotation looks like. And the, the defensive backs have been playing really well of late. So uh, we'll see. Apparently, um, I think... I was looking earlier at the stats that Carr has when he plays in Arrowhead, and I'm hoping we can continue that beautiful, beautiful trend. Um, Chargers at Denver, another AFC West battle on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, we're both going for the Chargers here. Like Denver just put up three points this week and don't look any healthier than they did. Yeah, and the Chargers' defensive line has been playing well. Their run game's been playing well. As long as Philip Rivers doesn't throw like 15 picks to Chris Harris, they, they probably should have enough to win this game. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Uh, this is The next one's your pick of the week, and to be fair, it is kind of a tasty game, New England yeah. at Houston. It's intriguing because both these teams obviously have the capability of being AFC contenders. Obviously, New England are always there, and we know that Houston's upside is very significant. Um, it's in Houston. I think that gives a little bit of advantage to Houston, but I think... Well, I think we generally pick New England just because it's New England. Like, they're just so good at winning. Uh, but I think Houston, you know, they, they finally got back control of the AFC side, but now they face one of the toughest tests they could possibly have. And will their offense, which looks so dynamic against Indianapolis, can it hold up and do anything against New England, who just obviously shut down what's been a very good Dallas offense? So they'll be relying a lot on obviously Hopkins and Fuller to get those big explosive chunk plays. Maybe they didn't get that run game going with Hyde, uh, with Hyde going again, uh, and Duke Johnson to a lesser extent. And I think you know I definitely give Houston a shot, but I think on balance, New England, the way their defense is playing, it's just so suffocating. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to pick against it. And the offense, as I said, you know this this Houston defense is is so shattered right now that I could definitely see New England just bring in Tony Michelle, bring out their linebacker flash fullback hybrid and just run it and bully them again and again and again. And I think New England, they're, I think they're reverting back to that. And I think it might suffer in the AFC, like at the, at the pointy end when they're placing a team like Baltimore. We've already seen that to be fair. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in a game like this, they can just about get it done. But I think both these teams, I think we're keeping a close eye on them as we get to the back end of the half. Cause I think they both have a good chance to be in the playoffs but it's just whether we see them growing towards being capable of taking on a team like Baltimore or indeed a team like KC if they've regained their form. 
Yeah, and you see the likes of like one of the main problems that Houston have is Deshaun Watson holding the ball for too long, trying to extend the plays and getting tackled down in the backfield. He's had a lot of sacks because of that. He's had a lot of uh, fumbling uh, or potential fumbles because of that. And given the coverage that we're seeing out of this New England defense, as well as like they they are getting pressure with four and sometimes sending more, but like I could see this being a high sack number possible turnover game for New England. Because uh, I think their strengths play really well into the mistakes that uh, that Houston, and particularly uh, their quarterback, tend to make. Uh, finally, Minnesota at Seattle. Uh, we've both taken Seattle. Your, you know, your boys are at home. Minnesota are good, but not great. Um, it's yeah. You know, it, it, if Seattle play like they did this week, they'll be in trouble. But I think at, at home in prime time, Seattle are usually money. They show up big, you know, they did it like against Kansas City last year, you probably remember that, mm-hmm. they've been like that this year. So I think, you know, expect to see Russell Wilson kind of try all the stops, uh, Tyler Lockett, hopefully he gets a bit more healthy, he looked a little bit off the pace, but hopefully he can get back to form in another week of rehab, and then, you know, getting the other tools, like Rashad Penny might get mixed in a bit more, that may could make a difference. I think the Minneapolis defense, it's pretty good, um, but it can definitely be, I think, particularly... Uh, it can be beat deep. I think their cornerbacks are a little bit weaker, perhaps, than the names would suggest. And for Minnesota, we know the template. They want to run the ball hard and set up the play action to Diggs. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what the status of Thielen is, but Diggs certainly at least. Uh, and then, obviously, Cook is good enough to kind of grind out those yards. But Seattle's defense has been toughing up a little bit more over the last few weeks. Uh, uh, so perhaps it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether they can continue that trend against an offense which is trying to bully, which is trying to run over you. If Seattle can do that, prevent that, then they should be able to keep this in hand. Uh, but I think this could de- this could as a as a decent chance of not just being a defensive slugfest, but actually having a a fair bit of scoring at points as well. Yeah, I'd imagine so because I think that I, I also I don't know if it's based on anything. I just always have it in my head that when Russell Wilson has a kind of an off game, he likes to kind of almost show off a little bit the following game to just remind people that yeah i can do this kind of stuff as well not just you know forget what an open receiver looks like so miss him entirely in the end zone um but yeah no so uh, i think uh, yeah it should be it should be a nice one it'll be a nice big win for seattle in the in the race to you know potentially race for the for the division but at least make sure that you're the higher of the wild cards uh if you if you manage to get through but yeah so it's um yeah, should be should be a good slate of games. I'm I'm very much looking at the possibility of taking that Monday off and just watching them all because uh, <laughs> I think that'll be great. But um, so, any other crack with yourself? Any plans for the next little while? Uh, not too much. Uh, a couple of films I've actually been looking to maybe see. There's that uh, I think it's called like Ford versus Ferrari in America, but I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, oh, the Man Sixty Six and yeah. and Knives Out. I've heard good things, and then I think yeah, I've heard local, that too. Yeah, the local art cinema is showing uh, the new Ken Loach film uh, next weekend, this weekend as well. Oh, so we catch that. I heard, I heard a bit about sorry, that. Sorry, yeah. sorry to miss you, which is probably like the depressing English version of sorry to bother you about like the travails of the gig economy. But uh, yeah, beyond that, yeah, probably it's a laugh riot is what I hear. Yeah, <laughs> like probably other than that, keeping it pretty quiet. Uh, you know, tensely watching if I can keep up uh, against you in the fantasy. But, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, pretty keenest around here, just kind of winding the clock down to Christmas mostly. Yeah, no, we're similar. I've been ordering all of the presents online and then getting them delivered because, you know, we can't uh, can't bring a wild pile of stuff back from Iraq with us when we're coming back. And uh, also just they don't sell a lot of the shit that we want to get people for presents out here, so... 
But no, uh, so we've, we've got the, the parents collecting all just about every day or two. I get a message, you go, three more packages arrived in for you there. I've left it uh, left it downstairs in the spare room. I was like, cool, good to know, good to know. People will get their presents on time. Yeah, well, that's the main thing, right? You don't be... Oh, 100%, yeah. And then uh, already already started the food planning for whenever I get over for the uh, all the places I want to go and eat and give myself gout over the three weeks that I have access to uh, all the lovely Western food that we can't get here. You'll be like a kid in some kind of sausage store. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, like we've got like steakhouse lined up for the first night and uh, a few places for like lunches and everything. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, of course, <laughs> in the background, we're, we're both, I suppose, uh, you know, keep up to date with our current affairs. Uh, you know, the British general election campaign continues to wind along, but uh, I think it's, it's still another week or so before it actually goes to election. But uh, it's, uh, it's been pretty honest. Uh, I think it's the 11th of December. Uh, oh, pretty, right, pretty uninspiring. Again. There is a few by-elections in Ireland this Friday, but uh, not really. oh, that's where my confusion is coming from. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I was, I was inspiring reading, to be honest. To the British yeah. elections so far. I was reading a little bit about it. Apparently, there's something like is it? They reckon two million people have just been registered to vote that weren't yeah, previously so registered. That's, a, that's interesting. You know, maybe mm. the models are off because of all those unexpected. Well, to be fair, I, I I was I was reading a thing the other day about why they've been why their models have been getting it wrong in England for the last while, and yeah, basically that they that nearly all of their prediction model stuff over there has not been recalibrated since a large amount of changes happened, so they're quite shaky at best. Okay, but, don't uh, believe the models. Statistics is lies, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if you, if you even think about like the, 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 the previous general election, just how far all of the like models and exit polls were putting it versus where it actually ended up, it was quite surprising. Like They were calling entire sections incorrectly. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, It'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Uh, there's, there's very few people out here who uh, who actually give a shit about it. So it's, well, it's yeah. a, good, good to hear someone who does. But I suppose, as always, you can get us for questions uh, on the Facebook page, on the Twitter in theory, and uh, anywhere else where the kids do be hanging out on the interwebs. But uh, for now, I suppose, bye from myself and bye from Ronan. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and I will chat to you next week. Bye.